So my goal when I'm prepping something like that is what can I bring out of this piece and this performance um, that someone's going to latch onto, even if they have no background in music and, and they don't even go in with the desire to, to, to understand how the music works necessarily. Um, but what's going to stick out to someone who's uh, just there to be entertained. This is Max Q, the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent Peabody alumni to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. This month on Max Q, we're interviewing collaborative pianist Nathan Cicero. Since graduating from Peabody in 2019 with a master's degree in vocal accompanying, Nathan has built a career as a freelance collaborator, church musician, and as music staff for numerous opera companies, including Sarasota Opera, Chicago Summer Opera, and Pensacola Opera. Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I'm so glad to have you here on Max Q. Thank you for having me. I, I'm thrilled and, and very excited to talk to you today. So I just want to start off by getting a baseline. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what your life looks like right now, your life and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So right now I am in sunny Pensacola, Florida. Um, I am working as a studio artist at Pensacola Opera, um, which basically means that I do a little bit of everything um, around the opera company uh, as far as pianistic needs are, are concerned. Um, for example, this week includes uh, actually more outreach shows than, than normal, uh, but we are doing, I think, seven children's outreach shows this week um, to local schools, which is an, a, a more than normal weeks. Uh, <laughs> this is a particularly heavy one. Um, but in, in addition to children's outreach performances, we also do a lot of community performances. Um, for example, tomorrow we're, we're doing a brown bag uh, opera performance, which is where people bring their lunches into the opera center and uh, enjoy a concert over their lunch break. Um, it also means that I work on all of the main stage productions here as the pianist and uh, sometimes coach and um, we just got done with Labo M and we are starting uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel uh, currently. So uh, a couple of days ago, I, I played uh, two six hour days of um, dance call for our ballet dancers, which is a, so, you know, it's a variety of, of different things that I do here, but that's, that's part of the, part of the job. And I enjoyed a lot. So can I like to kind of build us up to this point first? Um, is this like a six month, nine month contract? What's the term of this um, this job that you've got right now? Yeah, so it's it's about six months, um, which kind of falls in the in the middle of these contracts. Um, so as, as they go from short to long, I arrived here in September and I was contracted until the end of November, uh, and I came back in January, and I'll I'll be here until March. So it is spread out and. Um, we're always working with the same people. There are four singers that are also in the studio artist program. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is this is kind of a, a medium length program as they come. I know you've done some other programs before, so I'm kind of curious about what are some of the other places you've ended up and 
Um, maybe even just to try and talk us through like post-graduation briefly, how things kind of went. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I had a little bit of a unique experience um, and, and really all of us did. Uh, of course, I wouldn't have wanted to be in school um, during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and and I feel sorry for anyone and who had to go through virtual learning and, and, and all of that, but it was a unique experience as a as a professional working musician as well, I um, I immediately moved to the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota, Minneapolis and St. Paul after I graduated from Peabody. And I got a church job there just to kind of tide me over, uh, at least I thought so. And I ended up staying there for about three years, uh, partly due to COVID um, and stability. <laughs> and I ended up uh, um, maintaining a pretty active freelancing schedule around the Twin Cities as a collaborative pianist. Um, and then I and I had been applying for things in the meantime and kind of thinking that I wanted to, you know, work more freelance full time and and work around the country more. And the opportunity presented itself uh, last winter um, when I got hired at Sarasota Opera, actually, as a assistant conductor. So I was there for about a um, little over three months uh, last winter working on their winter season. Um, and I've been kind of freelancing uh, full time ever since. Uh, so it's been a very interesting year for me. Um, after uh, Sarasota, I actually headed right up to upstate New York to Opera Saratoga. Um, <laughs> lots of confusion between the two programs. <laughs> uh, and I was there for most of the summer um, working. That was kind of a last minute uh, replacement job uh, that I was able to fill in for. So I worked a lot there. Um, and actually this, then later in the summer, I uh, went back to my second year on the music staff of Chicago Summer Opera. Um, so it's kind of a, a training program uh, for younger singers, but I was fortunate enough to serve on, on music staff for the last two years. And last summer, I actually made my conducting debut there um, from the keyboard. So doing some Baroque opera there, which was a new adventure for me uh, as well. <laughs> and that led me right here to uh, Pensacola. And I have a few things uh, lined up right after this as well. So it's uh, it's just a very... Um, you know, nothing is guaranteed and it's a, it's, you're always living kind of month to month and, and hoping for that next gig to come along. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Got it. Yeah. Um, I, I know what the, the process looks like from the singer side, but I'm very curious about from the pianist, collaborative pianist side, what does the kind of application audition onboarding process look like for um, becoming a pianist for one of these programs? I, I think it has a lot to do with someone as a complete package, uh, almost like a singer is. There's there's very there's different aspects to your performance, um, but they're obviously assessing your piano skills, your piano ability. You know, uh, not every opera score is is easy, and and even the easy ones have a lot of nuance to them that you know you really need a mature musician and a mature performer to, to bring out. So that's of course the 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 number one thing they're looking for. Can you play the score? Can you get so through something like La Boheme or a Mozart finale um, without without stopping and, and without uh without too much trouble? That'd be the first requirement. But um our standard audition process actually involves singing and playing at the same time, um, which is kind of the bane of every collaborative pianist's existence. 
um, to, to practice both at the same time. Um, so in that process, of course, they're not assessing your singing voice, your, your, your tone quality necessarily. Although I will say it does help to have some uh, voice training and some voice background, um, just so you're not blowing your voice out. You're not uh, exerting yourself uh, when you're trying to sing. Um, but the the main thing they're looking for there is do you have the kind of sense of operatic style and do you have the knowledge and uh, of of not only you know the technical rules of the diction but you know do you sound like a, a native speaker or as close to a native speaker as, as you could or you know are you are you a good listener um could you listen to a singer and uh, give them feedback on their performance, uh, give them feedback on their diction. Uh, do you know it well enough yourself that that you could do that? Um, and additionally, singing and playing at the same time uh, kind of demonstrates that we're able to use that specific skill, which often comes in handy in rehearsal if there's someone missing from the rehearsal room, if a singer needs a cue to get in, um, you want to be able to sing for them and, and sing with them in a coaching or a rehearsal um, so that they are aware of what it's going to sound like when, when all the singers are there. So really, that's the core of the audition process. There's sometimes a solo piece that is required, um, but that's probably uh, that's not by, you know, by any means is that the most important part of the audition. Uh, I, I think that when you, the, the real meat of the audition is singing and playing and often um, you're preparing an hour plus of, of music of which only 10 to 15 minutes will be heard. Um, so it can be very nerve wracking. That's, that's, you know, we're not, we don't memorize. Uh, that is one positive about this audition process. You know, this is not memorized. It's not a recital performance. We're able to use the score, but the sheer amount of music is sometimes staggering in comparison to what we will actually uh, uh, sing and play at the audition. And of course, we're doing a wide variety of styles um, and, and whatnot. But that's that's kind of what the audition process looks like. Um, sometimes there's an interview, they just want to talk to you and see how you are as a person, because we obviously do a lot of um, collaboration, uh, both as musicians and just as, as humans. We have to spend a lot of time with other people and you want to get along with the people you work with. So there's, there's a lot of aspects uh, and, and it's very different from just going in and um, you know, playing Liszt or Rachmaninoff, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a lot of great things about that, but it's not solely about that. And it's, do you know the repertoire? Do you know the style? Are you able to work in the operatic environment? I want to go back to, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, part of your current work, but also your work while you were in the Twin Cities was a large amount of freelancing. So I guess uh, just thinking about for a more general non-pianistic audience, um, what was your process? I guess the first part is, was it moving back to the Twin Cities for you or was that um, a place It was a somewhat new environment for me. I'll say that. I had some connections yeah. there and that's why I, I moved back. I, my family's from the Midwest originally and I had gone to my undergrad near the Twin Cities. So I was familiar with the area and familiar with some people, but for the most part, it was a, it was a brand new experience for me. Um, and you know, I, I won't say it was easy, especially to start. 
um, just because you kind of, you know, it's like the, the, every millennial, every young professional struggles with this. Like, how do you get experience when you don't have experience? Right. It's the same with connections. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, there were certain opportunities that I applied for. Um, there were jobs that I saw advertised for skill sets that I had. Uh, and that was how I got some things. But once you're kind of in the door there, a lot of it is just people talking to people, um, your name getting out. Uh, if I played with a particular singer, then they might recommend me to someone else. Um, you know, a lot of working in the in the opera or theater industry is, you know, counting on consistent work from one theater company. So once you do kind of one gig with them, then they will be, you know, hopefully have you back for uh, multiple others. And that's the way it worked out for me, thankfully, uh, a, a couple of times. Um, I really found that having a diverse skill set was incredibly important. Um, and sometimes going outside of my comfort zone, because I think that um, you know, for all the positives that conservatories have, um, one thing that, uh, you know, you're, you're highly specialized when you come out, uh, you're trained at doing one thing very, very well. And I had to learn to branch out a little bit, um, and, and be okay and be okay with feeling uncomfortable in a situation uh and feeling like I was outside of my comfort zone because that's how I was going to be working you know <laughs> like that's just what the gig entailed um and so yeah I it was it was a lot of um once you once you talk to one person once you get in the door at one company um your name starts to spread around and people will contact you and say hey can i give your email to so and so can i give your name to this person that person um and it kind of spreads there and and you start to build up a professional network and it it really is a network it's not just about you and all these people that are in your Rolodex that, that you know, but, you know, in any city, um, uh, even the large ones, I would say that if you're in kind of the, the circle, everyone has a different relationship with each other. So not only are you talking to them, they're also talking to each other. And sometimes your, your best work can come from that. Um, so you, you mentioned, you know, this broad uh, skill set. So I guess I'm kind of curious about not a lot of pianists know about diction. How did you go about building building this broad skill set required for this very specific set of things? Well, I was lucky enough. I've, I've always been involved in um, musical pursuits outside of piano. And I was involved in choir and band in, in high school. And that was really the, the start of it. Um, but in terms of, you know, that specific skill of diction and working with singers, um, it really started to be built up in my undergraduate degree. Uh, and I went to a small enough uh, college where I was, that was something that was known that I was interested in playing for pianists. I had a lot of, or playing for singers. And I had a lot of support from the voice faculty um, in that. I was able to take some diction classes in, in undergrad. Um, and that's not something that a lot of pianists get. But then when I, when I got to grad school at Peabody, I really knew that I wanted to specialize in vocal accompanying. And uh, that was one of the reasons that I chose Peabody is that they had a vocal accompanying program. And I found that that suited my needs uh, very well. 
um, in terms, you know, because really there there is so much material in this field that I mean, I felt like I could have spent three more years there at least, and and not even had you know scratched the surface, right? Um, but I was fortunate enough to to work with uh, not only Eileen Cornett, uh, our, our wonderful uh, uh, teacher of the uh, vocal accompanying program, but also a lot of the voice faculty and the other opera faculty, um, and and just kind of being in the room and and seeing uh, how the sausage is made, uh, and and uh, getting that. Uh, hands-on experience, uh, not only in the classes, but also working for the opera department and, and playing for lots of voice lessons um, that, you know, you're not only building the practical skills uh, in a theoretical sense, but then seeing them uh, carried out in opera rehearsals and voice lessons. I think that, that really matters a lot. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess I'm curious, kind of building on that, like if there was a pianist who hasn't had a lot of experience in the theater. Like what would be the first steps that you would say about like getting, getting their toes dipped into the pool of collaborative piano? I'm one of those people that says the best way to do something is to do it. Right. Uh, don't, I would say, don't be afraid to jump in head first and go outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and, and know, you know, know what you don't know. Um, play something and say, wow, I've never played musical theater before. Like, what could I do to build that skill set? I could go and listen to musical theater. Um, I think, you know, just in, just like any kind of collaboration and collaborative piano, listening is an incredibly important skill set to have. So critically listening to singers um, and, you know, where they're going with a phrase, the way they're shaping things, the way they are producing the sound, um, and listening for not only your ensemble, but kind of how how do we make a a cooperative piece of art out of this? Um, so I think listening is very very important um, as far as building the practical skill set. Um, it's always a good thing to study IPA uh, <laughs> for your uh, just the way the singers would do. So there's always opportunities for that, uh, both inside and, and outside of school, um, because it is a, a core of, of what singers do. Um, so uh, kind of working alongside singers was a way that I built that skill set and uh, collaborating with them and interfacing with them, um, going through the same classes they did. Also, I think it's really important for um, people who are interested in vocal collaboration to also have experience singing themselves. So again, and, you know, it's, it's not about being a professional singer. Um, it's it's simply about understanding what singers are going through and what it feels like to produce sound. Um, as a pianist, we are obviously not dealing with a sustaining instrument. Um, we don't know what it feels like to be able to sustain sound or have to breathe to con you know to continue a phrase. We can keep going. We can make a phrase as long as we want um, based on the limits of the decay of the piano. Um, but singers have a real physical connection to their instrument in the way that pianists do not. And I think it's very important for, for singers who or for pianists who want to collaborate vocally, um, even if you just explore singing on your own, but e especially if you can get a voice lesson, uh, even if you can get a voice lesson from a singer who maybe needs to uh, practice teaching as well, uh, that's a very good way to get started and to understand what a singer is going through and, and what they um, need in terms of 
collaboration. Going back, we were kind of talking about like the the sheer amount of repertoire that you kind of need to have in your working memory at any given point. And I'm kind of curious if, um, does that pose any challenges to your organization? Do you have organizational methods for how you prep all this repertoire as you're going through? Because I know, you know, when you've got a full season, you're working one of these young artist contracts, you can have uh, shows back to back to back to back month, you know, month to month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say it is a continuous process. We are kind of always refining our organizational methods. Um, But I think one thing that's important, you know, when you're in a conservatory environment and you're getting graded on your recital performances, that's a very artificial environment um, where you are preparing for months for one performance and it's being evaluated by your peers who are also professional musicians and your teachers who are obviously professional musicians. Um, but most of what we do in the, in the real working world is more about the, um, there's a lot more rep that has to come together a lot more quickly. um, And it's being performed for um, real humans who, who want to feel something uh, and are, are not necessarily professional musicians. They have different values um, than a, than a, you know, musically educated audience does. Um, And now that I'm off my soapbox about that, I'll say uh, in a, in a very practical sense, um, I, I actually want to go back though and give you back your soapbox. Cause I think that this point about like playing for the real world is so different from playing for, um, for a conservatory audience of, of students and professors. So I'm wondering if you could just expand on that and what you've seen or what you've discovered. Um, uh, this is one thing I was thinking about as well. And something that I've, I've always kind of been aware of, but it's become more clear to me since, uh, graduation. Uh, I worked for three years in a church music environment, um, which means that the people that are hearing you every week um, are not paying to be there. Um, they are not coming in with any necessary musical background. Um, they might not even like music. Uh, and that for me has been a huge eye opener in terms of um, this is my opportunity to to play for those people and also to enable them to uh, to sing themselves, uh, which has been very powerful. Um, but I think kind of getting back to what I was saying before, um, the the sometimes the 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 hardest audience to perform for is your peers and are your colleagues um because obviously you know that they support you but they have the necessary musical knowledge to know everything that doesn't go well right um (laughs) so sometimes it's a little bit less nerve-wracking when you're performing for people who don't necessarily have that same set of expectations um and they maybe have something different that they want to get out of their performance um when they when they come in they're they're looking to come away with a a deeper understanding of opera they're looking to come away uh feeling something or or feeling that they were changed by a performance or that they were moved by it in some way that they were inspired by the physical ability of the singer or by the physical ability of the pianist to do what they do 
Um, and I think it behooves us as uh, performers, you know, obviously accuracy is important, but I think that's something we don't think about enough in the conservatory environment is uh, what are we doing for our audiences to capture their attention and to hold it and, and really make it a special experience for them. Um, you know, a, a trained musician, we know what to latch onto in a performance. We know what to listen for. Um, but you have to be very emphatic with those things uh, for audiences that don't necessarily have that musical background. So my goal when I'm prepping something like that is what can I bring out of this piece and this performance um, that someone's going to latch onto, even if they have no background in music and, and they don't even go in with the desire to, to, to understand how the music works necessarily, uh, but what's going to stick out to someone who's uh, just there to be entertained. I'm so glad you brought up the church work again, too, because that was actually something I wanted to kind of touch on. I'm kind of curious, um, what was what was the path there um, uh, easy or difficult and how did that look like? And, and I think one thing I wanted to touch on that is very important uh, for any church musician is that I became very good at working with volunteer musicians. And I think that's an important skill set for for any person. To me, in that time, it was it was all about um being very flexible and knowing when to talk and when to listen uh, and being aware of what environment you were in and uh, your place in that environment uh, and uh, making sure that you were able to work with a wide variety of different types of people. Always broadening your kind of ability to work with a, a larger group of people, I think, is, is one of the best skills you can have. To that, to that end, I'm actually going to take that to the kind of like opposite end of the spectrum. You mentioned that you just started to get into conducting. And I'm kind of curious about, is that something that you see as part of your future or something that just came up? Um, yeah, I so for pianists in the opera industry, um, there are some of us who want to be conductors and, and then leave piano behind. Um, I'm not one of those people. I love the physical act of playing the piano. I feel like I'm really, you know, making music and, and that's, that's what gives me the most joy. Um, so I don't think I ever want to stop playing, uh, but I do want to, you know, um, work conducting more into my career. And, you know, my experience this summer with conducting, uh, I think was eye-opening in terms of there's a lot of different hats the conductor wears, um, and there's like the leadership role of a conductor and also the physical like arm waving role, right? You know, keeping everyone together and the musical aspects of conducting. Um, and I feel like I, I very much enjoy the leadership uh, position that a conductor has, kind of keeping everyone on the same page um, and setting the tone for the show and setting the tone for the rehearsals and the collaboration. And that's something that I, I feel like I want to keep exploring. Um, you know, obviously, as an untrained, uh, relatively untrained conductor, I still have a long way to go in the musical aspects of conducting. Uh, but that's something that I was fortunate enough to uh, even explore here in my time in, in Pensacola. The uh, the conductor of Lab OM realized that, or, you know, we had talked about the fact that I wanted to do more conducting. And he said, well, I'll give you five minutes in an orchestra read. 
And I was like, are you kidding me? Because I mean, orchestras are expensive and even five minutes of time is, is, uh, <laughs> is important. Um, but he was very gracious and, and let me conduct for a little while because we talked about the fact that, um, again, like the only way you learn the musical aspects of, con of conducting is simply by doing it. And I had worked primarily with choirs um, and to get even five minutes of experience with an orchestra was was completely eye-opening and the bug kind of bit me a little bit. So it's definitely something I want to keep exploring. Um, and I don't think it's something that pianists or any musician needs to write off just because they're not, a, you know, we've kind of built up a shrine around conductors or, or conducting. And um, I don't think that's necessarily a, a healthy thing. Um, I think that if it's something that you're interested in and you think you have leadership ability and you, you think you have the, the physical gestures to be able to do it, um, I don't see why there's a reason why all musicians can't be conductors. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. I think uh, I just have two questions I like to ask everybody to kind of close things out. So first, I'm just curious if there's anything you're currently reading, listening to or watching that you, you want to kind of share. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this one a little bit and it, it made me uh, self-conscious about my my reading habits, I will say. Um, but there's a couple things that I was thinking about. Um, one is a podcast that I sometimes listen to called The Bulletproof Musician. Um, and it talks it's I, I believe it's put on by a, a violinist um but they interview all sorts of different musicians and they take kind of a very um psychology-based approach to practicing which is not something i think i ever got in any of my education um it and it it uh, i've learned a lot of new practice strategies uh how to practice uh smarter and not necessarily harder. It's not about the quantity of practice, but increasing the quality of practice that I that I do have and um, making the practice sessions stick. Uh, and that's been very helpful to me. Um, and actually the other, for anyone who's specifically interested in, in this uh, career field of, of um, collaborative piano and vocal collaborative piano, I always go back to Martin Katz's book, um, which is called The Complete Collaborator. I've read it several times and I think it does a very good job, you know, say what you will about Martin Katz himself, um, but the skills and the wisdom that he presents in that book, I think is very true and, and very applicable to what we do on a daily basis. Um, and it's pretty much universally recognized as one of the best resources for collaborative pianists. Um, recently, I ran across, I believe it's a Facebook and an Instagram page, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure who it's run by, but it's called, uh, I think, The Life of an Opera Pianist. Um, and they do kind of uh, interviews and biographies of these uh, opera pianists that are working in the highest positions all around the world, um, talking about their journeys and, and what they do. Um, and that's been very eye-opening to me and, and just, uh, seeing who is all in the industry, some of these people I'm aware of and, and some of them I'm not. And, and just, again, kind of broadening my view of the industry and seeing what's out there. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Thank you for those, uh, recommendations. I will have to check out that. Um, I hadn't heard about that Instagram, so that's fascinating. <laughs> and then I guess just to close this out, um, yeah. Are there any, any piece of advice that you'd pass along to current students? I think <laughs> when I first graduated, it was very easy to get discouraged. Um, I didn't take any time off 
from between undergrad and, and grad school. And some students might may be in that position right now. I thought it was the best for me at the time. But, you know, when I graduated, I was like, I've never not been in school before. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. Um, and uh, this will sound cheesy, but I think finally, you know, three years after graduation, I'm finally, I think, experiencing um, what I should be, <laughs> or uh, I, I'm I'm no longer as apprehensive about the music world. Um, I would just recommend that they get out there and do what they do best uh, and start building a professional network. And it might not always feel like you're being as successful as you wanted to be, or um, you're not as successful as your peers are. And that's something that I still struggle with is, is comparison um, and not feeling like you're good enough. And uh, those things I don't think will, will ever go away for a lot of musicians um, for better or for worse. But I, I think that I, I always kind of stuck with it and uh, turned out in a place that I, I, I feel better about what I'm doing than when I graduated. So that'd be my only kind of uh, piece of advice. <laughs> awesome. Well, Nathan, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat. And, thank you uh, so much. It was a, it was a real best pleasure. of luck with your, your production of Carousel. Thank you so much. Closing out the episode, we have a recording of Nathan playing Poulenc's Madrigal with baritone Mark Billy. Thank you.